Hello, you are listening to Jump the Creek, where we take a nostalgic look at the past, an honest look at the present, and a hopeful look at the future. We are your hosts, Ben and Jake Tolson. Hello, Jake. Good morning. Or whatever. I always say good morning. I don't know. Because it's morning for me when we record this, I just do it. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's it's morning for some people who are listening, probably. And if it's not, you know, they, they don't care. Well, yeah, all the other all the other times of day apply. Yeah. And in case I don't see you later, what what is that from the Truman Show? Oh, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, or something. I don't. Yeah, that was a good movie. You should check it out if you haven't. Yeah, see that movie. A lot, lot to digest there. So Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is almost upon us, and so today we were we were going to talk about some of our memories from Thanksgiving, and. When I think about Thanksgiving as a kid, one of the things that stands out the most to me is that we lived in California at the time and we would road trip from California all the way to Texas. I don't I don't even know where in Texas. I can't like place it on the map in my head. Um but it's a small town called Mullen. Mullen, yes. M U L L E N, I think. <laughs> And it's, it's like it's, it's, a one stoplight it, town. Yeah. One stoplight. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, so we, we would make the long trip to see my stepdad's parents who we called grandma and grandpa. And they lived out in the country, you know, in a, in a trailer on a piece of property that had, you know, fields and, and cattle and chickens and a little water tank where they had they kept it stocked with fish they had two tanks they had horses it's probably um i think if i remember correctly it's around 80 acres it was a big piece of land yeah so we would we would go there and you know like all of the things that you can, that you associate with Thanksgiving, like there were football games playing pretty much constantly, delicious food and smells just permeating the house. Um, and then of course, you know, like we would watch the Macy's parade on their little tube television. And it was, you know, for, for all of the, I guess, uh, tumultuous things that might've been going on at the adult level, which we were kind of not really aware of, it was a really enjoyable time as a kid. It was, it was something that, um, I have a lot of fondness for. Yeah. I, I remember the really distinct smell of beans. Cause that was something that grandpa really, that was his thing. He was like, these are my beans. Don't touch them. Like we could eat them once they were done, but the cooking process for some reason took, you know, all day and you were not to go in there and like mess with it or touch it. Yeah. Grandma, she cooked everything else talking about ambrosia salad and pies and like all the Turkey 
fixings that you can imagine for Thanksgiving. She made it all from scratch, and it was, in a good way, like the kind of stereotypical food that you would imagine for, you know, a really intense, traditional Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, it was... The the food was always delicious, and I I specifically remember this isn't necessarily like a Thanksgiving thing, but Grandma made these peanut butter cookies. Yes, that peanut butter cookies they they were to die for. I mean, they were so yeah. good. So a quick note on the beans, by the way. Uh, I just read about this yesterday. There's an enzyme in beans that the body, the human body, doesn't actually have, or there's I don't know if it's like an enzyme or there's something in the beans and the body doesn't have the enzymes to process it. But for whatever That's, reason, go, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I know, I know what you're speaking of. And that's what causes the, the gas. Yes. Um, we, we have the gas because we can't process. Yeah. And so there, there are certain things you can do like in the cooking process to get rid of, like to reduce the the amount of whatever that thing is. Anyways, uh, I I I just found that interesting, and I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's you know can be important information for somebody out there listening. That's right. So yeah, some one of the things that helps. There's this thing called uh, kombu. It's like seaweed, and if you cook the beans uh-huh. with seaweed, it actually soaks up some of that. If you also soak your beans overnight, that helps. Um, and then the longer and slower you cook the beans, the more of that enzyme you get rid of. So maybe that's what grandpa was trying to do. Maybe. I don't know. Can't imagine. I, uh, some people like the process. of. Um, some people like to fart. I know I do. I'll just say it. I, uh, I, so I, I enjoy the passing of the gas. I don't, I don't enjoy the having of the gas. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. But you have to have it to pass it. That's right. Yeah. That's um, one of those things. You got to write that on a, on a thing and put it on your wall. Yeah. I'll get an arm tattoo. I think that's the best way to go. Yeah, there you go. So it, it was, you know, like all, all of the wonderful Thanksgiving memories. Sometimes, you know, there would be some extended family that would be a part of that as well. Um, I remember maybe half the time it was really just us, uh, Jake and I and, and my mom and stepdad visiting grandma and grandpa. Um, but a lot of, a lot of the charm of visiting them was some of the things that we would do while we were there. And, you know, like we said, there was, they had a lot of land and stuff, but there was, I don't know, like as I, as I think back to my memories, it felt like as just, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have video games. There weren't like, you know, movies that you could sit down and watch, you can watch um, movies on demand or anything like that, but it felt like we always had something interesting and fun to do. Yeah, it was definitely um, that that time in childhood when you were you were outside. We 
and not not always by choice. <laughs> Sometimes it was like the, on the on the line of the door might be locked, so you didn't have a choice. You can't you can't go back inside. You got to figure something out. There's a lot of lot of fishing and BB guns and catching tadpoles. Yeah. Oh, you just see. You just reminded me the BB guns. So there were always always beer cans everywhere, and yes. And so we could we could set those up on the fence post, and we would go out with the BB guns, and just you know do target practice. And the, the sound of the BB puncturing the can, like you can hear it in your mind right now. It's uh, immediate gratification. You know you hit that can. And and speaking of beer cans, the there was this old blue Ford pickup. Yeah, the the old stepside. Fantastic truck. Yeah. And I I don't know, I can't remember if I actually ever drove it. I don't think I I don't think I was ever old enough to actually drive it. They might have they might have let me like drive it a little bit or something. But for some reason I remember it being extremely difficult to shift it into gear. Like you had to whoever whoever was doing it like i remember them cursing about it and stuff and that it was that it was kind of difficult but it was like it was one of those kind of trucks like i don't know from the 60s or 50s and like you're you you didn't have some mechanical assisting uh uh you know mechanism that was helping guide it into the proper gear like you're physically wrestling that thing yeah, into the spot yeah. <laughs> yes you're you're making that gear go to that other gear yep and you gotta work at it it's all about respect <laughs> <You have laughs> to respect the gears so and and we to be fair like we didn't ride in the uh the front of the truck we usually were in the very back and we yes. so we would we would ride down to most of the time, sometimes we would walk, but we'd ride most of the time. We'd ride down to one of the tanks to go fishing and be in the back of the truck with all the beer cans and the deer feed and like fish food. (laughs) There's all kinds of stuff back there. And it was super bumpy. Like everything was just, it was, it was like being in a rodeo Yeah, with, all that stuff that's been like sitting baking in the sun there's a fun a fun smell that comes when that happens and there's you know a little bit of like fish guts mixed in there because every once in a while you just clean the fish on the back of the truck and there could be there's weights fishing weights and there's Hooks. Yeah, you gotta look. Every, you gotta look out for the hooks. <laughs> you gotta be be sure you don't. You gotta look where you put your feet and your hands. <laughs> but it was it was always so much fun, you know, to get down there and toss out the fish food and immediately see like tons of fish just going after it. And you knew, like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna have a good day. Come home with like, you know, seven or eight catfish on your line. I never, I never personally cleaned my fish. I don't know. I don't know if maybe they thought I wasn't old enough yet or, but like somebody else 
always handled that part. Man, I had a different different experience than you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what what time it was, but apparently you weren't there. Where there was a big day of fishing, and these tanks, I think you mentioned, they're stocked, so there's tons of fish to go around. So when the adults are out there fishing all day, they can come back with like ten or fifteen fish easy, even within you know, two or three hours. Yeah. And the the rule I remember was um, if you catch it, you clean it. And that's kind of the way it was. And that was not the way it was in, in this memory that I have. Because it was they caught a bunch of fish. And me and our cousins, Bo and James, spent hours cleaning the fish and we got a very short uh session on how to do it (laughs) (laughs) luckily Bo was old enough that he kind of helped me and james but yeah i didn't catfish are particularly hard because they have skin not scales so to get that skin off i remember being very difficult for my my little i gosh i had to be like eight nine years old something like that yeah that's weird i i guess i just don't i'm either not remembering or i just didn't do it (laughs) maybe you blocked it out of your memory maybe i think i think i remember maybe doing it once but i don't know maybe i wasn't very good at it and so they were like yeah just don't have ben do it um (laughs) do you remember the uh, the grandfather clock. Yeah, I was going to mention that earlier. That was one of the hallmarks of staying at their house. The very traditional dum 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 dum. Yeah, and dum, so dum, dum, dum. you knew you actually knew what, like, where in the hour you were by, because uh, it would it would start playing its song, and the song had four measures, I guess. And so at the 15 minute mark, it would only play the first measure. And at the 30 minute mark, it would play two measures, 45, three measures. And then on the hour, it would play all four measures. And then you would get the, the chimes. Yeah. The, and this was a legit, I mean, at the time this, it was taller than me. It was a, a big, big, grandfather clock yeah yeah it was like in my memory it went all the way up to the ceiling of course this was yeah this was a trailer so i don't know if they had like foot ceilings or seven foot or where we were in the thing yeah i don't know gosh and another thing is the weather in texas there can be like crazy thunderstorms and uh where they happen to live for some reason, it seemed to be windy a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, super windy. And there's something about the room that we slept in. It made like a howling noise, which Grandpa made sure to tell me was ghosts. Yeah. And even if I try to say, no, it's just the wind, he's like, no, they're ghosts. They're haunting you. It's cause he's a, that's because <laughs> that's he's a good grandpa. 
He's a good grandpa. He's a jerk on purpose. He builds character. <laughs> right. Oh man. Yeah. So the, I mean, there's so there's so many things like that. I don't know that we're gonna like sit down and go through every one. But yeah, I think like one of one of the things that I really wanted to highlight just as we were talking about this was this phenomenon where as a kid, you know, well, so as as an adult and having had some conversations with our mom and um knowing a little bit more of the context, like those visits were not always very pleasant um for for the grown-ups. Um my our, our our mom didn't have a great relationship with my grandpa especially um yeah that would have been her father-in-law yeah her her father-in-law right and he had a very specific um way about him i mean i don't i don't want to say that he was racist but he was super racist and <laughs> Kind of misogynistic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's not, it's not inaccurate, you know? So it was, it's, it's always so interesting to me how hidden those things can be. It's really interesting to me. Like, I don't know how much of that is purposeful, like on the part of the parents, like we're, we're trying to keep this as pleasant as we can for the kids. And so we're not, we're we're not going to show them this side of things or if it's just that when you're a kid like you don't really have a context for that and so even if you're in a room where there's an argument happening like you don't really you you don't um you kind of like filter that stuff out maybe to some extent you know um so that's and that's that's something that I'm really curious about. Like as my boys get older, I'm aware of things that like I've I've done as a father that I'm like, yeah, that wasn't the best parenting move. That when I, you know, when I said this certain thing or when I said this a certain way, like if that if that sticks with them, like that could cause some resentment and stuff like that. And so like I as a, as a parent, um, I tend to, uh, I, I, I tend to think about those things and kind of like make a big deal out of them, which I don't think is, I don't think that's bad. I think it's good to be aware of like the, the ways you'd like to improve as a parent. Um, but at the same time, like I will, I will overcompensate, um, in some ways that are not good like you know relaxing a little bit on some of the boundaries that we set because i feel like i've been a jerk and that's not necessarily helpful either and as as the kids get older um i'm really curious you know to talk to them and and kind of get a sense of like well what do you what is your experience like you know are you, does this does this have the same feeling for you as I, I felt growing up, um, you know, in a, in a less stable environment with, 
a little bit more dysfunction than you're experiencing now. So, yeah, gosh, that's so difficult because in the context of me and you doing this and having these conversations, um, if you think about that idea of a nostalgic look at the past, it is nostalgic to us now in a really kind of warm, fuzzy way. And you, you don't feel that at the time, like I, I didn't feel the way I do now. Then when I was younger, it wasn't appreciating what was going on, but looking back, you like, wow, that was, you can, you can pick out, you know, the good things and the bad things, but you can look back on it and be like, yeah, that was my, that was my experience. And it was really cool. Yeah. To figure out a way to tell your kids or ask your kids, you know, are you enjoying, are you enjoying your time here? Are you having a good time? And that's a, that's a hard thing. Yeah. And I, and I feel like it's, it's almost impossible to really get a, a, a solid answer to that question until they're older and are kind of like looking back in retrospect because, you know, day to day you're, you do get caught up in like what's going on in the here and now. And, you know, like I've heard the phrase several times from a few of my boys that like, this is the worst day ever because we didn't, you know, because they got in trouble for something or like they expected to be able to play outside. And instead we have to take a trip to grocery store or something like that, you know? So it's really, it's really difficult. The feelings and I don't know, like this is, this is a really interesting thing because like, because I feel like we've had so many positive experiences as I think back to them in, in childhood, um, that, that influences the way I feel about myself and about my experiences today. And I want that for my boys, you know, I, I want them to feel like the goodness of their past is propelling them into a, an even better future somehow. So now on to, we're going to, I don't really have a tie in for this, but I, I feel like kind of picking up from the previous episode, we were talking about the election and some of the political stuff. We are now on the other side of election day. So before it, it was, I think like the week leading up to the election. We were on Monday that day when we recorded. Oh, so it was the day before. Um, so I, I know that like we were talking about how we didn't really know it was going to happen and stuff. So I just, I thought it would be good in this episode to kind of like follow up on that conversation now that we are, um, almost two weeks out from election day and about a week and a half from Thanksgiving. So my, my question I, I wanted to ask you, J Jake, is do you think that we will, I, like, 
it, it, it's it's really hard to say. Like we know, or at least some of us know, the outcome of the election, and at the same time, we don't really know. We still don't really know what's going to happen because <laughs> um, because there are allegations of voter fraud and things that are being quote unquote played out in the courts. Um, and the sitting president who, according to the reports from major news organizations, has lost the election, has still not conceded. So do you think, do you think by Thursday, or not Thursday, sorry, because Thanksgiving's on Thursday, but so it's, it's a week and a half from Thanksgiving. Do you think by Thanksgiving this will be settled or will, will we still be in this sort of limbo that we find ourselves in? What do you think? It's um, one of those situations that you can't draw a line and say it will be or it won't be just because it's been um, it's been drawn out to the point where uh, people that feel disenfranchised are not going to not feel that way. It's not going to be like, oh, I, everyone can't all of a sudden be on the same page. We might know, and it, it hopefully will be um, something that becomes a matter of fact that, you know, this is what's happening and we're moving forward. And I, you know, I've voted for Biden and I'm, you know, fine to say that for personally for myself, but I know how um, other people feel. I, I, I hear it a lot. Having my job I work at a hotel and people come from all over the place and everyone's got their own ideas and opinions. So the, the division that we talked about in our previous podcast is not something that's going to change. And unfortunately, um, it's being perpetuated by a lot of people in in office. Yeah. So we're not, because it's being perpetuated by people that are in office, then us civilians, um, that makes it much easier to just stay in your lane, whichever lane it happens to be and kind of double down on your opinion. So I, I want to, I want to go ahead and, and offer some empathy right now before I share my personal opinion, because I think it's, I think it's important to acknowledge the feeling because I I think every American who has voted and, and who has had, had some political awareness has at one time or another felt disenfranchised and disenfranchised, meaning that that feeling that your vote and your voice have gone unheard um and that your 
your preference. And it's, and it's not, it's not just that like there were more people who disagreed with you than who agreed with you. It's that feeling that you, your ideas and your beliefs and your feelings were a part of a majority that was ignored and not represented in the final result. That's a, it's a horrible feeling. Um, I, and, and I will say, I think a lot of Democrats felt that way in 2016. I think in the eight years before that, a lot of Republicans felt that way for the, the entire two terms of Obama's presidency. Well, the difference is the approach. Well, and, and we'll, we'll get into that, but I, cause I, I really want to lean on the empathy here because I just, I just want to make sure that anyone who's listening understands that we have that, that feeling in common. Um, when, when there is, and I'll, and I'll, I'll say this. Um, because I'm going to, I'm going to clarify it later, but I'm just going to say, say it this way. Now, when there's, when there's reasonable suspicion that somebody or something has undermined the mechanisms that make voting and, and sharing your voice and your concerns that, that make that process fair and equitable. And there's reasonable suspicion that that has been undermined that creates that feeling of disenfranchisement that feeling that yeah it doesn't matter that you want that we're going to do this anyway um and that and that feeling is terrible um whether whether i agree with what you believe or not I acknowledge that I I acknowledge that feeling. I acknowledge that what you're experiencing when you feel that is really uncomfortable and difficult. And um and and for many people not just it it doesn't just make you sad, it makes you feel scared. It makes you feel angry. Um, and it makes you feel like you have been painted as an enemy. Um, and none of, none of those things is pleasant. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to share that first because I want to make sure that, that people know that like we understand, we understand that, that feeling. Yeah. That's really important to come to it that direction. And for people to hear, like, you, you know, we're not enemies. We, we can have our own opinions, but if anything, um, we, we can all be, uh, upset or happy in our own different ways, but that we have that in common, like you said, is a, at the very least, it's a starting point. So, so now I'm going to go on to the more difficult part 
and I'm I'm still I'm still wanting to thread the needle here between empathy and honesty. Um but you know, like I I have some I have some hard words for the current state of the Republican Party overall. Um and and for just our national discourse. Um first I I wanted to say that I've heard this phrase, uh, these phrases thrown around every once in a while, the, the whole idea of Trump's America or Biden's America. And I feel like it's important for us to not think about it in those terms, but to think about it in terms of this is our America. And it's hard to feel that way when you feel disenfranchised. But well, there is a... there is hard a, to feel that way. Yeah. Well, there's, so there's a sense of responsibility that comes with that. And what you do with that responsibility matters. Um, it's really important. So one of, one of the things that's really dangerous right now, and, uh, and, and I want to, I want to address the comparison that's being made between this election and the 2016 election. Um, a lot of, a lot of Republican pundits are saying, well, the Democrats couldn't accept the election results and, you know, called it fraudulent and whatever, but now all of a sudden it's secure and we should just accept the results and move on. And for one, that's a, that's a completely unfair characterization of both of those things and a, a inaccurate comparison because in 2016, the day after the election, so November 4th, Hillary Clinton gave a concession speech. The day after that, Obama had Trump in the white house and started going through the transition process. So the, the mechanisms that we put in place as a country to keep things running smoothly, um, to protect the well-being of the country, regardless of, of what the outcome was, those things kept moving forward with the understanding that there, there was election interference. We would, we would later find out that there was, in fact, election interference from the Russians. And that there were some things that needed to be investigated. Um, but these things were happening with the understanding that unless we have the actual evidence and can prove otherwise, we're going to continue as if the democratic process worked the way that it was supposed to. Yeah. It's a, in in the speech that Obama gave, he appealed to people in the sense of this this is sometimes messy, but it is um it's he used the word faith. It's to have faith in your government and the system, whether you win or lose, is something that should still be important. And when you lose, in his speech, he talked about 
learn why, what, what issues kind of get back on the horse. I think he said, get back in the arena. Um, you learn from your mistakes, you lick your wounds and you go back at it, but you don't blame anyone. And, uh, to have that approach and say, look, we're all in this together and there's no reason for us to hate each other is, is a very different sentiment than what's being propagated now. I wanted to draw the comparison between 2016 and this election cycle because the, the smooth transition of power and providing the incoming administration with the, the tools and the resources and the intelligence necessary in order for them to keep things running smoothly is, in, in any normal time, important. Because you've always got international issues that you're working out. Um, there are domestic issues that you're dealing with. There, there are mechanisms that need to continue running smoothly in order to keep the, the country functioning. And, and then put on top of that, the fact that we are in the middle of a global pandemic. That America, um, compared to most other developed countries, is handling extremely poorly. The things that are prevented from happening by this administration not choose, choosing, choosing not to move forward with a transition. You could be looking at delays in getting resources out to hospitals that need it. You could be looking at delays in getting financial aid out to businesses and families. You'd be looking at delays in rolling out a vaccine, and then not to mention any other high-level intelligence that you know average citizens don't know anything about, but that decisions made on an executive level could potentially influence our everyday lives. There are things that just need to move forward, and they can't because Trump will not concede. And it's not just that Trump will not concede. That is, that is something we expected him to do, honestly. Well, he he made it clear that he wouldn't for a very long time. Yeah, and he which if is also in in by by that by in it of itself is very irregular and frustrating. Well, and if it's, I I kind of take this. I, I wouldn't call it proof, but as a as a pretty clear sign that his intention going into the election was to contest it, that he spent the months leading up to the election sowing these seeds of doubt, talking and and really grasping at whatever he could as a potential fraud. Well, and appointing the new. <laughs> person in charge of the U.S. Post Office and almost very blatantly um, making sure that the mail system was not going to work as well as it normally does. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of comical how obvious some of this stuff is. So, so now, um, after, after the election, he is 
he he is playing into all of the the seeds of doubt that he sowed in people. And if you're if you're someone who supports Trump, again, I understand that feeling that someone is cheating you out of something that some power that's much bigger than you is manipulating a system that prevents your voice from being heard. And I understand that feeling. What what I'm saying is Trump understands that sowing those seeds of doubt will make you feel a certain way. And then he will use that feeling to his advantage. And and I believe that's what he's been doing from the beginning. Yeah. It's it's um it's frustrating is for me. I'm I I wanna you know, be nice and give people the room to have their beliefs and opinions, but I'm still super confused. Um, how to me, it feels like they're okay with being lied to, to their face. (laughs) I don't, I don't know how to approach that. I understand it from an intellectual standpoint. I understand how tribalism works. I understand, um, how, there are different, like each human has kind of their own palette of values and that people who score higher on a certain set of values tend to align on the left and people who score higher on another set of values tend to align more to the right. When you align, it's, it's like aligning with, um, something that is proven over and over again to not share your values at all and still being like, yes, I want that. And that's, that's where the tribalism, <laughs> that's where the tribalism comes in as humans. Like when we make a public commitment, so we share something on Facebook, for example, about our political beliefs or, you know, even, even the, the very act of registering as a Democrat or a Republican. Um, and I'm, we're all guilty of this. So I'm not just, I'm not just harping on Republicans here. We're all guilty of this. Um, when we, when we make a public commitment like that or some kind of commitment, there is, there is a tremendous pull, uh, internally to fulfill that commitment, even, even in the face of like demonstrable evidence that what we've committed to is wrong and false. Um, that pull to follow through with our commitment is just so strong that oftentimes it overrides that. And then you add on top of that, the tribal element, the sense of belonging that you feel when other people share and, and your values and think and feel the same way you do. And there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing more unifying than shared outrage. Even if that, even if that outrage is manufactured. So I understand why, but it's still very frustrating. What Republicans, what Republican leaders should be doing right now is they should be speaking out against Trump and his political theater and saying, no, this was a free and fair election. These are the results. We need to move forward. 
That's what they should be doing. And the fact that they're not is a danger to our democracy. And it's literally a physical danger to some of the most vulnerable people in our population who, in the middle of pandemic, might not get the medicine, might not get the vaccine, might not get the resources they need to get through this. We've been divided to the point where if you try to disenfranchise the people that in their, in their heart and soul know that Trump is the right person to lead the country and that he was um, somehow s- screwed out of getting his second term and that they know who to point the finger at and they know who to blame because he told them and they believe wholeheartedly that it's really hard to push against that without causing potential unrest. I mean, really, really bad things. Because if you're um, that invested in what you've been told and you think it's a matter of fact, you could be pushed, you know, to do very dangerous things. There could be the kind of civil unrest that we haven't seen really play out in a long time in our country and hopefully never will. But, but, and, and I will say Republican pundits are using they're they're speaking the language of revolution to Republican constituents. They're, they're comparing, they're comparing this to a new civil war. When you talked about what they should be doing is to kind of stand up against the outcome and say, you know, this is what happened and we should be moving forward, which I totally agree with personally. It's not that big a deal. Um, parties change all the time. Elections happen. People win. People lose. Votes are counted. This is not some kind of giant conspiracy. The reason to not push back, I think, a lot of Republicans are afraid of causing that kind of unrest. This is me just kind of speaking as a spectator because I'm definitely not in the political arena. I'm not in the room with Trump. I don't understand the kind of conversations that he might be having with people in his staff. Maybe appeasing Trump is the safest route. So I think maybe maybe you're right. Maybe there is there is a way to deal with Trump that keeps him from igniting a fire under people. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the sentiment that I've heard from some, some of the people that talk about it is what's the harm and just letting this play out. But there, there is real harm though. And so it's almost like you end up choosing the lesser of two evils. But I, I also, I also have to wonder if is, is there a way for Republicans to take to take back the soul of their party and say, you know what? We made a bet on this guy. And it turns out all of the things that we said about him before he became president, they were actually true. I mean, you look back at the things that Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz said about Trump before he became president, just to say, it turns out that was a bad bet. We made a mistake. 
and we need to fix it to repair the soul of our party to get back to the values that that we believe represent republicans and and that's that's not to say like accept the results and move on and pretend nothing happened if you have doubt in the fact that this was a free and fair election you should take every avenue available to you to make your case heard and to prove one way or the other definitively for yourself whether or not this was a stolen election in the meantime the healthy thing to do the the good thing to do as a country is to make the assumption that democracy worked to move forward and to to allow the things that need to continue running smoothly to continue running smoothly. It's hard to talk about something that is important without getting a little passionate. I, th- I think the thing that like, and, and this is, you know, getting into the hope for the future part. I teach, I teach my boys um, almost every day because some situation comes up where something that we decide as parents or something that happens doesn't feel fair and they're upset. And when you're a child and something feels unfair, whether it is or not, you fight and you scream and you cry and you whine and you throw a fit. That's just what kids do. As you mature, when you feel those same feelings, you learn to use other tools, better tools to manage those feelings and to make things more equitable. My five-year-old will throw a fit. He does not have the tools to have a conversation with me about why I might be wrong about this decision, but my 11-year-old, he can say, okay, daddy, I wanted to, and like he can go into his explanation, and I make room for that. You know, like, if if you're going to, and this is what I say to the kids, like, if you're going to whine or yell or whatever like we can't have a conversation but if you're going to if you're going to be calm and you want to share your voice and your opinion and your side of things we can have a conversation and I'll listen it's just one for us but even even with him he I don't know where he got this but he started saying that's not in my plan <laughs> when we you know, it's a very similar I, I love situation. That. You know, time to put time to put your shoes on. If it's cold outside, where's your coat? Let's put your coat on. We got to get in the car. Time to go to school, kind of thing. Um, and he can be busy doing whatever he happens to be doing, and just one day decided to say that's not in my plan, and you know. It's nice. I'm glad he feels so empowered. But then I have to be like, well, you still have to get your shoes on and get yeah. in the car. <laughs> I mean, that that part didn't change. I'm sorry about your plan, but we're still getting in the car. Well, and and so like in in contrast, my almost 14 year old is you know like comes to me at. 7 p.m. and says, I need to borrow the laptop to do some schoolwork. That's in our house. That's the time that like everybody's kind of winding down and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to relax and stuff. And he's, he's got kind of a 
patterned history of getting the laptop and not working on his homework and watching YouTube instead. And so we prefer if he's going to do schoolwork at home for him to sit down at the table just so that he has some accountability and some monitoring um, until he can earn back that trust. I can, I can have that nuanced conversation with him because he understands like he's more mature and he's, you know, like he'll still complain and, and fight with me a little bit, but like he understands and he also knows that he can, he can make a case and he might be able to change the outcome, but it's a lot easier for him to have his voice heard if he follows the process that we put in place. Otherwise, otherwise he comes across as just throwing a fit and we, we can't, we can't go anywhere from there. Nothing productive happens during that fit. And, and so like, you know, going into adulthood, that's a really valuable skill to have the skill of being able to not. And, and when I say accept, I don't mean like you believe it's right. You believe that it's, it just is what it is and it has to be that way. And you're just going to pretend that nothing's wrong. That's not what I mean, but accepting that things have to move forward, that you've got to follow a process while at the same time, using every avenue that you have available to you to make your voice heard and to make your case. And, and the openness to accept the fact that you might, you might be wrong. It might, it might turn out that you, you were wrong about the way that you thought about things, the way that you saw things, and that that's okay. And that's what we're missing right now. That's the difference between this year and 2016. Yeah. If, if we can't, get something close to on the same page. Um, we're going to have a really hard time dealing with the things that we are going to have to deal with in the next, you know, year. There are things that need to be done that kind of, I don't, I don't even know what the right word is. They've been sidelined because it's more important to, really understand who you're mad at <laughs> for no reason. It's deal, do, you know, do you, do you clean up the spilled milk or do you spend a year yelling at the person that spilled the milk? Or do you help, do you help the person clean up the spilled milk? Like let's, let's clean, let's clean up this mess together. Is there any way I can help you not spill the milk in the future? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, I mean, this, and this kind of comes back to what we were talking about in the last episode, that we, I think it has to start with believing that we're not enemies, believing that it's, that it's possible that we actually have some shared values in common, that we some shared outcomes in common that we want to work toward and that, and believing that the only way to get there is together. Trump not conceding and accepting the election results and saying publicly that 
claiming that he has won the election despite the evidence. It is stopping the process in its tracks. It's stopping all of the mechanisms that allow us to work toward the things that we want. Don't don't let Trump or anybody convince you that the person who doesn't share the same political ideology with you is your enemy. It's got to start it's got to start there. I agree. The the hard part is always how easy it sounds depending on like for us that's a, it's a really easy sentiment to get a hold of and wrap your mind around but that that fog of um distrust and anger that a lot of people are feeling um is really hard to break through well and and like like i said earlier the it's it's extremely powerful to rally around outrage and that is a tool that's being used by republican and democratic leaders I hate both. I, I hate doing the both sides thing because I, I will say, in my opinion, it is disproportionately being used as a tool by Republican leaders. But both Republicans and Democrats do it. Um, they use use outrage as a as a way to rally people together, so that so that they can use that constituency to keep themselves in power and to further their agendas. Yeah, I you know, I've I've got a good friend, Thomas, that I talk to, and he he would never say that he supports one thing or the other. He's got his own ideas, but he um, talks about a lot of these processes like professional wrestling terms, which is hilarious. Partly because it's mostly true, it's it sometimes feels like you're watching a show. Because there, there's this idea of trying to, whether it's one side or the other, there's there's a protagonist and an antagonist, and if you if you can step away and look at it like that, sometimes it uh it can be a little helpful just to realize, you know, we're all, we're all watching the same things happen and we don't have to be mad. Not that it's not important and it's entertainment, but that if we don't take ourselves too seriously, we can maybe meet in the middle where we can say, yeah, this is important. This is right. This is wrong. We can all agree on a few very important things, like wearing a mask, for example. Yeah, maybe. I mean that that might be that might be pushing it a little bit, but and I I don't know. I at the end of the day, I don't know if if we have the capacity to mostly as a country to mostly be on the same page. Um, but I think we do have the ability to see the humanity and like to, to hold this idea that 
that these these are humans with um who are sincere about their beliefs and that there are things that we disagree and we can hold those things at the same time and that keeps us from making enemies out of one another like just just enough just just to the degree that it keeps our country from falling apart and to slipping into a civil war that would i think i think that's enough yeah i wish that wasn't the standard we're aspiring to but unfortunately <laughs> that is a it's important to not have a civil war i would totally i think we could sign that petition all of us should be able to sign that petition let's not have a civil war yeah let's just not okay i think uh i think we can wrap this one up that was man this is the, these aren't the kind of things that we're always going to be talking about but i i feel like in light of recent events it's it's just where we are so i i and i feel like these important moments teach us important lessons so hey if you like this show and you want to help us out you can leave us a review we would love you can you can rate the show uh that's a thing you can do you can do that in your uh podcast app you can rate the show but we'd also love to hear what you think leave us a review reviews and ratings help get this show a little bit more traction, um, makes it more discoverable for people who might be looking for content like this. And, uh, and that would be really helpful. And if you go to jumpthecreek.com, that will take you to our anchor podcast page. So you can, you can do it there, um, in your anchor app, or you can do it anywhere you listen to podcasts. So, and I'd like to add, if you go to jumpthecreek.com, there's a way that you can leave any kind of comment or if there's something that kind of caught your attention while we were talking or something you'd like to hear us kind of talk to each other about, um, feel free to let us know. We'd be more than happy to explore all kinds of different situations. Yeah, absolutely. A there's, there's a, there's a little button on the page that just says message and you can leave us a message. You'd be like, you know, stop talking about politics and, and talk about Santa Claus and, and what you think about Santa Claus. Yeah. Tell me more about the Brussels sprout recipe. <laughs> oh, I got to tell you, Jake's Brussels sprout recipe. It's, it's delicious. It's tasty. Mm-hmm. All right, Jake, I love you, brother. I love you too. I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.